Welcome to episode 113 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And I thought that this would be a good time for ye old traditional vibe check because it is a an odd one. We are coming off a Blue Jays win, a decisive win, a rare 7-0 win, one in which Chris Bassett looked really good after you know a few weeks of not quite being himself. We're coming off a series win over the Washington Nationals, who are probably more respectable than a lot of people give them credit for. But at the same time, the Blue Jays sit you know, a couple games out of a playoff spot here, and there was that ugly loss to the Nationals in the mix as well. So where do you find yourself um, when evaluating the Blue Jays vibe charts right now? <laughs> well, the, okay, this is, I mean, where where is my personal vibe? Or where is, uh, where do I feel the, the, the general mood of the team is at? Because those could be quite different, it turns out. Well, why don't you take us down both roads and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see which one's more accurate. Well, personally, well, personally, probably not accurate as you, uh, as long time listeners will recall me two weeks ago saying, well, are you going to worry about the fucking Mariners? Uh, you know, I might, <laughs> I might not have my finger on the pulse, uh, of major league baseball the way I like to think it is sometimes. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of like stand behind that, uh, well, maybe not that particular, uh, you know that that nuance of that opinion but you know I, i'm not in panic mode yet lots of baseball still to be played it's early uh i'm one of those people i, I wrote the other day you know there's no you don't get extra points for uh for clinging too long to false hope but ne- nor do you for uh uh declaring the season over too soon so it uh, it doesn't really matter we're all we're all one side or the other of that same coin sometimes um, I don't know. I think the the Rangers and the Mariners and the Astros are going to beat up on each other a bunch, and the Jays have a big chance with the Rangers coming up, and the Yankees have waved the white flag, and uh, you know, I think they got a pretty great chance. I think I, I'm I'm if I'm them, even though they're look on the outside looking in at the moment because of you know how dumb things have gone in the last week or so or a couple weeks. Uh, my vibe is good about the team. I feel fine. I feel like they're going to make the playoffs, and if they don't, then uh, they didn't deserve it. Uh, <laughs> I feel that the mood around the team, on the other hand, uh, though it was softened absolutely by uh, by winning that series against the Nationals, and I think you're absolutely right. The, you know, nobody nobody wanted to pay attention to the fact that the Nationals have been pretty good since uh, you know the All Star break, uh, and kind of looked at their overall record and was like, well, no, well, the, you got to beat these guys. Uh, they got to go twelve and three, or the season's over. You know, the, these those sorts of weird. Uh, declarations to get mad at something that that won't be necessary to get mad at um you know uh generally i think people are understandably uh still not feeling this team and uh and not feeling that um the things that ross atkins keeps saying which i think are generally true which is that you know there's still there's still a chance they got a run in them there's still a chance that, that they can show up and look like the team that this talent on the roster suggests it should be uh, a lot of people are like, oh, we've seen enough of this. We know what they are. We know what they aren't. And what they aren't is a team that's going to be good enough to make a real run like that. Um, fair enough. Uh, disagree, but fair enough. Yeah, I understand why uh, people are have checked out a little bit with this team. You know, We still have a whole month to play here, as you say. They are two and a half games out as we're speaking now. That Texas series really looks like it could be a huge one. Um, just in terms of the way the Rangers look like the most vulnerable of the teams they're chasing, the fact that it's a four-game series, 
Um, and the fact that after that, they've got quite a few games against the Rays, a team that will be presumably fighting for a division title at that point and very much motivated and not taking its foot off the gas. The Yankees, part of it all, it'll be interesting to see where they are when the Blue Jays get there, presumably in a terrible place because that's where they've been for most of the last few weeks, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I think the overall sentiment that the Blue Jays are not in dreadful shape is fair. You know, I, I'm seeing the kind of the playoff proposition as a bit of a coin flip. I think, you know, if you look at the, the fan graphs odds, as people like to quote these days, it's I think it's hovering just below 50% in the 45% range. You could be a little bit more optimistic. You can push that up to 50%. I think that's fair. The other teams do have quite a few games against each other at this point. This this little stretch here, it really is critical in terms of the fact that it's an opportunity. Like there is this the stretch against, you know, the Rockies and the the Athletics and the Royals, but it's also worth noting that a lot of these other teams are going to be facing the Athletics as well. Like that won't be a differentiator for the Blue Jays. They just happen to be facing the Athletics at a a different time than these other ones. So it is, uh, yeah, it's interesting to have this conversation. And again, we're talking over 130 games into the season. And yet, if we had this conversation, you know, on Tuesday night at 10 p.m., as opposed to today, <laughs> like it, it, it's just such a different thing. And so it is bizarre because if they had lost, or if, you know, if they'd lost that game that Bassett pitched, uh, on Wednesday against the Nationals, and now you've dropped two straight series at homes during this opportunity in your schedule. Like it is, it is weird to kind of take a step back and think about how our feelings change so rapidly, or our thoughts change so rapidly about the team. And although you and I, you know, I think on occasion like to think ourselves as people who take a longer view, as people who are less likely to get sucked up than some others. You know, you and I would have a different if they had lost on Wednesday, like you and I would have a different conversation as well. Like, you know, we're all human and we're all susceptible to, the, you know, the swings that go along with something like this. And, you know, someone like Ross Atkins, who speaks about it and says reasonable things, you know, he's not going to say it out loud that a certain thing made him panic or made him truly elated or whatever. But, you know, I bet he would feel pretty differently today if the Blue Jays had lost that game on Wednesday instead of the decisive win that they got. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, in, in doing a couple of like Atkins speaks things this week, like transcribing his his radio hit and his, uh, his session with the media, it definitely occurred to me. I think I wrote it in one spot as well. You know, like <laughs> I would love to know what they actually think. Right, because obviously, you know, there there's a performance aspect of what you do as the GM and what you do as the manager, and you know, uh, they all have great things to say about their belief in Vlad and their belief that he does all the right work and everything is good. And it's like, I mean, it's so it's so counter to what uh, I feel like a lot of fans would be thinking at this point. Um, you know, we don't have to get into the weeds of the entire Vlad thing, obviously. Um, but though that does kind of make me think about, uh, well, for one, the, and this is something I think people need to keep in mind is that you know, especially this is this is partly why uh, when the Mariners were on their run, I was like, oh, whatever, because the these the teams that end up in this point uh, in this in this portion of the playoff uh, picture, uh, particularly. Um, now that we've expanded it to however many teams, you know, now that every team gets into the playoffs, basically, uh, these are all like not me mediocre, maybe strong, but like these are flawed teams, and you know, like like Seattle, 
is out there picking up Dominic Leone, running out Trent Thornton and Taylor Saucedo in their bullpen. You know, it's like that, that's not as scary a team and as a fait accompli that they are, uh, that they, you know, now that they've poked their heads out in front of the Blue Jays, that they're not going to just like reel off a bunch of losses and, and spin out of control and lose their spot. You know, it, it, these teams are like this. Um, and I, it, I feel Jays fans should be happier probably to, to have the team that hasn't shown, you know, its talent level as well. I mean, Seattle just did, and they've got back into the race and they're ahead now just by a little bit. Um, there are definitely, as we all know, a lot of people on the blue Jays who, uh, we haven't seen the best of yet. And, uh, they're part of this. <laughs> one of them's hurt. Um, but one of them is still playing and it would be very nice to, uh, uh, to believe that that could actually happen. And I, I, I most, I mentioned this like a couple times this week in pieces like, uh, the, you know, Eno Saris, the, of the athletic looked at the likelihood of, uh, of, of players bouncing back and especially players who are everyday guys who are, you know, below their projections. And, uh, there's a surprisingly large number that, that, you know, end up having pretty good September's, even if by the end of August, they are, they are not, uh, performing up to what were, was, was projected of them. Uh, and uh, it, it could still happen. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, uh, <laughs> like playing the trumpet as the Titanic goes down, but, uh, but, but damn it, what else is there to do? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, think about Matt Chapman's season, for instance, right? Where he's been, he was unbelievable in April and then has been kind of a below average hitter since. That season can also happen in reverse. True. I'm not saying that it will happen. I'm not saying, oh, I'm predicting that Vladdy has right. this incredible <laughs> September that changes everything. But yeah, I mean, the time, the way things happen from a timing component can be sort of arbitrary. And we don't like to think about it like that because it's not a very romantic way to think about baseball. And we consume baseball through the filter of stories and narratives and arcs. And so it's like, oh, they were building towards this, or this guy is having a truly great breakout season, or he's found this thing in his mechanic. And sometimes there are cases where someone finds something in their mechanics or changes an approach thing. And, you know, you and I in our writing are always trying to identify these type of things. It's one of the things that interests us. But sometimes things don't really happen for a particular reason. Like even when Atkins was talking, he was discussing Vladdy in the context of being a bit of a rhythm hitter where you can kind of fall in and out of your swing and how long you're in and how long you're out is a little bit difficult to gauge and difficult to predict. Well, yeah, a guy like Vladdy or, you know, even, you know, Dalton Varsho, we talk about all his tinkering can kind of fall in or out of a rhythm and it can just happen. And I'm not saying that as sort of like a wish casting thing or uh, this is exactly what's how it's going to play out. But it is it's important to always remember that the way things look today could change pretty quickly for reasons that we either don't know or don't understand or are kind of random. And maybe it just sucks to think about baseball that way. Like maybe that's just not a fun way to think about the sport. It's not a fun way to engage with it as a, as a fan because it's a little bit nihilistic. It's like, well, nothing matters <laughs> if we can't yes, it is. gauge what anything, like if there's no way to predict anything that's going to happen, which of course, you know, on a broader scale with projections and things there there is you can rein in the chaos to some extent especially the bigger sample you take in the more players you take in gotta control what you can control yeah but <laughs> but the chaos is still there and you know the chaos could also t 
totally go against the Blue Jays. Like they could get you, things could get worse. You know, the bullpen that's suddenly been great all year. You could have three of the key guys fall off a cliff and lose a strike zone. Um, you know, you could have some of the players who have who have done well, even surprisingly well, like a Brandon Belt or a Kevin Kiermaier. You know, the wheels could fall off those wagons. I'm not trying to present this all as something that would potentially be positive for the Blue Jays. There's plenty of room for potentially worse outcomes than we've seen, but it is things are not predetermined uh, by any means. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe that sucks too much to keep in our minds all the time because it makes maybe it's more boring to think about not knowing how anything's going to go. But I think we also just need a little humility in terms of acknowledging that, yeah, we don't know how this is going to go. And like, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I think that's, I think, of course, that's absolutely right. And uh, yeah, we, we could, we could use that. Um, but you're right. Like, it, and it's, it's also, it's not like, you know, they wake up after 130 games or whatever it's been. And okay, now the regression is going to happen, so they have a better chance every day going forward. You know, you, you, they're, like the RSP thing is like is an example that I've used. It's like you know, you you should probably hit as well with runners in scoring position as you do without, and you, they haven't obviously. But uh, you know that should regress to the mean, like a lot of things sort of do in this sport. Even though you know, of course, there's there's fuzzy. Uh, you know, things that might be in their heads or all sorts of other reasons why they might not be, uh, you know, succeeding in that, in that element of the game as well as they should. Uh, but that, but the idea of regressing to the mean doesn't mean that like, oh, it's all going to happen in a month and, and okay. So they, they, they deserve, or they should mathematically get back to where they're supposed to be by getting hot. It's like, no, you still, you go back to having that same, uh, you know, the, the same, op- the same ability to get, you know, a hit or, get on base or do something, do damage with runners in scoring position as, as, as every day you wake up. And so I like thinking about it in that sort of sense, you know, we're, if we get to uh, October 1st and they don't make it, I would still probably say, yeah, but if they had another month, they, they would, uh, I, I think the hitters will rebound. You know, I think that that's just sort of like mathematically sound and just sort of how that, uh, how that, that would work. I mean, I think it would be silly to think otherwise just because of their track records. And then eventually, you know, this failure becomes part of the track record and sort of subsumes what we had previously thought. And that's, it's sort of the, 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 the march of time is pretty slow. Um, but that's obviously, you know, I, I described to somebody that I was, uh, I was talking to about my job the other day and I was like, yeah, I'm just kind of fighting human nature constantly <laughs> because that, because that's what it is. It's like, if you're trying to cut through the bullshit and the narratives about this, this sport of baseball that we love, uh, it's hard because people's people's nature do not they don't accept that what they've seen over 130 games isn't what these guys are. So I think a good transition to what I want to talk about next, because uh, speaking of human nature, the discussion around John Schneider, uh, I think you you see a lot of you know some of the worst of human nature and again this is not necessarily <laughs> me uh sort of riding to his defense and i have noticed uh, you know the andrew stoden twitter account perhaps <laughs> has uh, changed its tenor slightly on uh the john schneider topic so i wanted to dive back in just because we have the you know the alejandro kirk incident that is worth discussing, maybe not beating into the ground, but at least discussing a little bit. And uh, I know the Sunday bunt was an issue for you. I, you may be surprised or not to know that I actually am 100% fine with that bunt. Obviously did not did not go well, that's for sure. Um, but I'm fine with that decision. 
do is that uh, is it an accurate I don't know description of how you're feeling that things have soured with you and Schneider, or is it more just me clipping Twitter instances from particular <laughs> moments? No, I mean I think I've said that I that I, I'm you know more sympathetic to the idea that maybe he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but I just in general am not sympathetic to the way that people uh, build up the th- you know their their conception of a manager in their heads uh, over the course of a year because I like a lot of. You know, when you drill down into the nuts and bolts of like what a lot of decisions are and what a lot of things are, um, you know, they're, they're it, like so much of what they do is justifiable or, or you, you know, there's all sorts of reasons to, to do what the manager did that you didn't like. And I think that, that when people miss that stuff, they end up being like, this guy's just an idiot. Uh, and that makes it easier the next time to think that he's an idiot. And I, I don't think John Schneider's an idiot. I think there have been, of course, you know, like any manager will have uh, bad ideas. I disagree fundamentally. I'm just not a bunt guy. I just don't ever bunt with anyone ever, especially, you, you know, what's it? I, this is what I tweeted. I said it's, a, it's better to have three chances to cash a guy from second than two from from third, uh, especially when getting the two from third uh is not like a 100% chance to uh to actually get that runner I hated that. Um the the Kirk thing I you know you can't in the uh in, in the climate in which we we are living and existing uh it would be hard to be to jump to Snyder's defense about the Kirk pinch run thing which uh I won't uh there is there is more probably uh that's justifiable about not pinch running him there than uh uh, that a lot of people give credit, maybe as uh, you know, as you say. Uh, look, I, I've already I've already established on this podcast. Like, if you're more mad than me, then you're too mad, and if you're not as mad as me, you're not mad enough. That's that's sort of how I approach it. So, uh, trying to not going to back down from that, but uh, but aware that I am uh, in, in that sense an idiot. Uh, but but yeah, I think the Kirk thing was maybe okay enough, terrible, but also. I, I, I'm sure you could. I'm sure someone could justify why that made sense, and I, I don't think that Schneider did well enough with that. But maybe you could. Fun thing, hated it, but also I just, of course, that's going to catch on with the people who have been watching and getting, you know, their eyes bleeding when he chooses one reliever over another and does all these little things that add up over the course of the season that make them think that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And I think a lot of that's coming from high, def- high performance or coming from, you know, the, the, from the top down about, you know, who's, who's uh, healthy, who's uh, matches up well in terms of their swing plane versus the arsenal of the pitcher that they're against. And there's all this stuff that we don't see that, you know, leads to people, and you know, but even before the you know these times that it happened, you know, even in, even forty years ago, people were mad at the manager when results don't go the right way. Uh, and I think a lot of it is silly and and really actually taking it seriously. Like I think this man is bad at his job is is probably missing uh, how little that job matters. I guess. Yeah, I I think that's fair. <laughs> I wish that you would ever get an honest appraisal from a player about how they feel about a manager in the moment, but you mm. but you don't 
I mean, I guess you can sort of on background if you gain a, a mass amount of trust with a player. So there are probably people who are in that clubhouse, you know, consistently day in, day out, who've had discussions with players and maybe they have a feel about where those players are with Schneider. You know, when we had Charlie Montoyo getting fired, all these things emerged afterwards about how the players felt mm-hmm. about them. The people covering the team definitely had a sense of what those were, but you couldn't really report it beforehand. So there's that element of his performance we won't really know. I do think that the Kirk thing was indefensible, like I do. I think <laughs> that, um, you know, why why have McCoy, like what other situation could McCoy provide a better upgrade than that? Especially in a context where you're never going to pinch hit him. He's been way below average at AAA offensively. And you are the home team. So there aren't going to be defensive replacements. So like this is the best chance he could have had to make any kind of impact. Yada well, yada. Well, what if they were only down by one run? Mm. Then they would have done it. The tying yes. run. <laughs> the, the, the legendary tying run. The only run that matters in baseball. Um, yeah, I, I think that the issue for – so I think a lot of people watching are like, that's a terrible decision. You could argue that costs them the game. Hell, maybe it doesn't because they could tie it up and they could easily lose an extras too. So it's not like you can flip that from one loss in the ledger to one win. Uh, in your mind. It's not that concrete. But I think the thing that that made me maybe question Schneider a little bit more than I had in the past was just I felt his explanation for it was really poor. <laughs> yeah. On on because he, he addressed sort of multiple layers of it. And I you know, I wrote a piece and I was like, here's all the layers, here's all the things that he said, all of his reasonings, and here in my view is why each of them doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and and so it's like, oh, we might need Kirk's bat later. It's like, well, fuck later. <laughs> you got five outs left in the game. Like you're talking about the 10th or 11th inning potentially, and Kirk's bat has been below average all season. I know he's been quite good in the last couple of games, sort of since this incident. Um, but, you know, the value of his at bat over the other one isn't that significant. You know, talking about the tying run being a big thing, uh, again, when you only have five outs to play with, you're down by multiple runs. Every run, it turns out, is pretty damn valuable. Uh, and yeah, the him kind of chirping back at a little bit of the heat, saying, oh, if it was anyone but Kirk, they would have scored. Well, if it was anyone, I'm not sorry, that's what's actually would happen. If anyone and Kirk, no one would be saying anything. Well, yeah, if it's anyone but Kirk, then they probably would have scored. So it just. <laughs> but it was Kirk. But it was Kirk. So it, <laughs> yeah. it just seemed like it was like a poor decision, defended poorly in the moment, and then he felt the need to sort of like circle back about it. And uh, yeah, this is one kind of shitty moment sort of for him. And I think if we're being honest, he probably realizes he made a mistake there and it was a costly mistake. Um, but the way he handled the whole thing, I don't know. It was just, there's a bad vibe coming off that. How much does that matter? Who knows? Like I've always been one to say that we just don't have the tools available to us to really, really drill down and adequately assess how good managers are. So I don't well, surely he would never have a, a flub like that in, you know, in a do-or-die playoff game. <laughs> no, of course. I think he's, <laughs> much like the rest of the Blue Jays, he absolutely uh, is clutch as hell. And uh, when it really matters, that's when he's at his best. Uh, I think we can, we, can leave, we can leave that there. We're not going to come up with anything new on that. It is what it is. I don't think anything is going to sort of change in a profound way in the near future. 
One of the news items from today, we generally we like to lead with uh, transactions when they happen, even minor ones, but this is more of a transaction that did not happen. Uh, sadly for Mr. Randall Gritchick, everyone else on the Angels who they ruthlessly dumped on waivers to avoid luxury <laughs> tax, um, which... I mean, it sucks and it's stupid for the sport and the fact that it could have sort of a competitive impact, uh, in particular, I guess, on the AL Central, uh, is a bit wild. It is just shows the idiocy of a franchise in terms of the fact they traded real prospects to get some of these guys in the first place and didn't trade Oton. Like, it's all malpractice. It all makes the Angels an absolute joke. But I did feel kind of bad for Randall Gritchick that everyone else got picked. Uh, and he was at the schoolyard, you know, the yeah. last last <laughs> kid there who didn't get picked for the team. Do you think there was a, was there any case for the uh, you know the Blue Jays handsome Randy reunion that a few people were kind of talking about in the run up to this? I, I I'm sure it was discussed internally. Why wouldn't it be? I don't you know I don't know what their internal opinions of handsome Randy as a, as a presence is. Uh, but I can sure see how terrible he's been since he went to Anaheim and how I can understand how people are suspect, suspect of his, uh, uh, numbers in Colorado. And, you know, I, I didn't see a huge fit there. Like Hunter Renfro, I could understand going after that. Harrison Bader would probably have been my top choice had that, you know, had he fell to the Blue Jays, you know, just because that's a guy who hits lefties can play great defense and be a great base runner. Like that's a, that's a person that you could stick on the end of your bench instead of Mason McCoy, whose name I'm never going to, you know, not, not double check myself saying, or, or, uh, or several, you know, look, no offense to all the people who really, a lot of people seeing a lot of people out there really invested in uh in the Buffalo crew and it's great stories there and I've been 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 happy, happy to see uh some of these AAA guys like really start to make some noise and have people, you know, ready to ready to bang the drum for them to get called up. Uh, you know. I'm not sure they're the difference makers that, you know, David Schneider has looked like he has while he has like a five hundred Babbitt. But um but yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I, Bader could have made sense. Renfro, I could absolutely get just because you know some power, uh, anything out of this lineup. But man, I, I was pleased and and not surprised that uh, <laughs> that Gritchick 2.0, which is the end of his original extension with the Blue Jays, uh, did not, <laughs> did not come to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that sort of theoretical fit and the idea of, oh, you know, there's not that much sort of pure outfield depth beyond your starting guys. You kind of have guys who are capable of playing outfield but aren't necessarily the best at it. But his defensive metrics have been awful this year. You know, <laughs> having a right-handed bat to bring off the bench that is decent, again, that's something that has been a need he had been good against lefties this year and at times in his career. I mean, I liked Renfro as a an idea a little bit better, but you know, they didn't really they didn't have that opportunity. Guys, teams lower in the race were really snapping these guys up. So I don't know. I I would be shocked. I'll put it this way. I would be absolutely shocked if the end of the Blue Jays season comes and people are still thinking, man, <laughs> if they had got Randall Grichuk on August thirty first. We'd be talking about a whole different result here. Uh, I, I feel that's right. I also feel like I mean I don't I don't think that 
you know, Ross and Mark are necessarily uh, their employment is as tenuous as a lot of people, you know, sort of wish cast that it is. But I also, I mean, I think the, the one sixth of Randall's uh, salary would have been like one point five million dollars, and that that's a tough. That's a tough ask to go to go to to Edward Rogers to pull him out of the fucking uh, Mar-a-Lago MAGA party and be like, "Hey, uh, remember that time we we got you to approve us spending a ton of money on Randall Gritchick? What if you just give us one point five mil? It's hardly anything. It's like I, you know, I don't know that that's that's a tough ask. I think uh, for a guy who we all saw how that played out." Yeah, I mean, internal optics, I think sometimes people assume that there's sort of a purity in the way the baseball moves are made. Um, but internal optics and politics matter within any company, uh, in any context, even, even in baseball. And I, that's something I hadn't really considered. But yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that that's the hill they want to, like, that's not the hill they want to die on. That's not the, they don't want to, it's not worth creating any friction whatsoever um for a Randall Gritchick when who knows yeah like you said I don't think their jobs are necessarily in sort of immediate peril but uh you only have so many bullets and uh I don't think <laughs> you already wasted a bunch on that guy yeah I don't think you want to do that interesting I don't do this often but we're kind of we're talking immediate transactions I don't do this often sort of mid podcast but we do have News here mid-podcast that Spencer Horwitz is coming back to Toronto for this. I don't know. It's going to be for the stretch run. Presumably when rosters expand, that gives them some latitude to keep them around. Um, any instant thoughts on this breaking news that won't be remotely breaking news when people listen to this? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. how <laughs> Is Brandon Belt okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I already kind of – I heard it kind of dumped on the – look, and – Fuck the way they, that the Blue Jays have gone this year. Me being sort of like poo pooing the idea of, of hey, this guy's red hot in AAA. Maybe they should just give him a shot. I, you know, may uh, they, they, I might be being a little too uh, strongly opposed to that. Uh, they could have used some of that, though. Also, you know, the, you can hurt yourself by d- you know, dipping into that well too much. You can hurt yourself by getting Paul DeYoung and 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 giving him way too much run. Um, but yeah, he's had a really nice series on the 40. He's been, uh, you know, he's not necessarily, he's like a raised guy. It's like, oh, does he not, does he not hit a ton of home runs, but he can play first base a bit and, and is just going to hit. Sure. Perfect. Done, done and done. Um, don't expect to see him get a ton of run. Don't think he's going to be a difference maker. Uh, pleased for him. Uh, and if belt gets hurt at any point, then, then there's a bat and there's a pinch hit bat there for them a little bit as well. And, and, uh, you never know. I mean, in like. Look, David Schneider, as much as everybody is like in love with him now, and I try to pump the brakes a little bit on that. Like that was the, your thirteenth best prospect, you know, mid-season even. Like it was, uh, now a guy who had a really nice season in Buffalo in an offensively inflated environment um, that you just wouldn't have expected this out of. So uh, you know, you're probably not going to hit the jackpot twice. But yeah, uh, give him some, give him, give him a little run while you can, when you can, when you know, when opportunity arises. Uh, and uh, see what happens if he grabs a job. Then let him grab a damn job, because nobody else is. They're all they're all just walking away from uh, from opportunities this year. All the uh, you know the regular big leaguers for the most part. 
The other breaking news is that Josh Donaldson just signed with the Brewers on a minor league mm-hmm. deal, but we can let that one go. Yeah, I think you're right in that Horwitz is probably not going to get a massive amount of run unless things, as you say, get worse with Brandon Belt. He has that, you know, he's got that profile. It's always a little bit hard to trust because it's pretty reliant in him, you know, not striking out, which is going to be harder to do at the major league level. He's got the good eye. He doesn't hit for a ton of power and doesn't play a premium position, and that makes it tricky for him to be a really good player. But I think, you know, in the context of the Blue Jays, they kind of, they don't need, they're not going to need him to be a really good player. They're not going to need him to be someone who sort of prorates for two to three war over a season, which is pretty hard to do with his profile. Um, They need him to give him a couple quality at bats in certain circumstances. And, you know, based on what he's done at AAA, there's a half decent chance he can do that. So as long as people don't become of the belief that the Davis Schneider thing is something you can just keep replicating or hell, even keep replicating half of or a third of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, expectations held in check. Uh, he could be someone who is useful in certain circumstances to the Blue Jays, which is probably more than can be said for Mason McCoy, who apparently isn't even faster than Alejandro Kirk. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's a time and a place for Spencer Horwitz, I guess. In terms of the David Schneider thing, it's funny. Like every podcast, I feel like we're like, okay, we're going to check on David Schneider because something's going on. And in the back of my head, I'm like, this could be so, you know, the last time we spotlight David Schneider. Maybe that's unfair, but like he's not going to be the story again when we talk a week later. And yet, sort of lo and behold, last time we were talking, hey, maybe this guy should get a little bit of run. Of course, uh, John Schneider, avid listener, he's loving this episode in particular. No doubt. Um, <laughs> And he's decided to give Schneider that run, and he's you know, it's pretty incredible what he's done with it. We're talking about 14 games, as he said. A little bit of a little bit of break pumping needs to happen for sure. But what's your sort of expectation for him? Like, gonna fall to maybe just Babe Ruthian levels? <laughs> uh, maybe go from the second or cleanup hitter to maybe the fifth or leadoff man, something like that. Well, we're also we're talking about 14 games here on August 31st and he was called up on the 4th. So uh to go back a little bit to the Schneider thing. I mean, I think that's also part of what people are upset about. And part of what I guess I would say is, you know, a decision that's not entirely his. Um yeah, he should have played more. It turns out they could have cost themselves some games just by how hot he is. Um, would love this to continue. Would love to, would love it to half continue. Like you say, a quarter continue. Um, it would be really cool. It's a great story. Uh, you know, he looks the part he's taking good at bats. That's more than a lot of these fuckers can say. Uh, even though I think the people don't really, you know, aren't great as great at reading at bats, you know, that was a good at bat or not as they think they are. Uh, you know, at least the Twitter mob isn't probably, but even though there are probably some people within it that, uh, that are just fine at that point. There's good people uh, in every mob, you know. This is a <laughs> that's right, that's right. Maybe if we work within the mob, we can we can turn it to better to better let's ideas. Let's not quote me on that. Other than all <laughs> the people who are listening. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, he's he's earned it at this point, and that's you know more than you can say about most players, most hitters on this roster, right? So you got to let it. You got to let him do what what happens, right? And uh, and People don't want to hear this, I suspect. Um, 
after that first weekend in Boston, he did get some walks. He did seem like he was having good at bats, but he came out and he got a bunch of you know a bunch of plate appearances in Cleveland, and then after that, and he was like one for fourteen or something like that with a few walks mixed in. But you know, it, it was more justifiable that he sat, uh, maybe not as long as he did, but that he sat a bit after after that. Like I think people have this idea that like he should have been playing from from that first day from day one from how he exploded on the scene that should have been it i think that's not accurate but i do think he's earned uh more opportunities until you know maybe i would give him a one for 14 uh maybe i'd give him a one for 25 uh that could be that would be a bit tricky after that um but also what are you getting from anybody else you know santiago espinal let's you know loved loved you 2022 uh hard pass uh, you got options left i don't know let's let's uh let's consider that uh you know yeah i don't know what to expect from schneider but uh, at least there's somebody out there um as luck based or as whatever based as any of it is that's uh that's giving this team a chance you know, not just to win every night, but just to to get a runner on base or to do damage every time he comes to the plate. Um, I wish I felt like that about more players on this team. Yeah, and yeah, he's not going to be you know the two eighty WRC plus guy from here on out. But I think it's fair to expect that he can be kind of a league average hitter from here on out. You know, I'm looking at Zips is projecting for a one ten WRC plus Steamer one fourteen. You know, most of Fangraph's projections have him at above average. You know, his expected Woba's 421. Like, his real one's 576. You know, there's crazy stuff going on. But, is <laughs> but it, still, but his expected one is 421. Yeah. Like, it's not like he's come up and he's a guy who strikes out, you know, I, I think back to Stephen Kwan when he first came up with the Guardians. And it's like, this guy never strikes out. And then when he came up, he just had all these balls coming for hits. It's like, wow, is this guy a superstar? Not really. He's just a guy, you know, like Whit Merrifield can have those stretches too. Like if you don't strike out and you put the ball in play and you've got some speed, you can have these stretches. You know, Schneider isn't that guy. Like he does take his walks. Like I think he's probably a good bet to be a double digit walk percentage guy at the big league level. He does hit home runs. He like he does pull the ball in the air. I don't know. That's real. That's been real nice. <laughs> Not enough of that this year, boys. Yeah, like he does the Danny Jansen thing. He does the early career when he was actually quite good Kevin Bijo thing that no one really remembers. Well, and you wrote about his the high fastball thing today as well, right? Like, yeah, right. like he's he's actually done better even though he you know he's very public. It just goes out and tells everyone what he's bad at. But even in the context of that, he's been good at taking those pitches, fouling off those pitches, and actually, you know, turning on the occasional one as well. Yeah, like I, I think that you're you're confident-ish, as weird as that is to say, like considering his background and how little we knew about him coming into the year, but you're confident that he can be at the very least a cog in the lineup from here on out. And reliable cogs have been hard to come by, and they're awfully hard to come by when Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman are gone, right? Like one of these left infield spots on any given night, you know, you're going to see an Espinal, you're going to see an Ernie Clement, Hell, you're going to see a Mason McCoy at some point, perhaps. Like they, you know, you're going to see maybe more Biggio than you wanted. You're, you know, you, they're not going to be <laughs> at shortstop, perhaps. Yeah, at shortstop at third base. <laughs> like people forget how bad the Biggio at third base thing was. Uh, it was, it was pretty grim. Um, and so now they're, they really don't have a choice. Like they, they kind of have to play him. 
because there aren't, like you said, there just really aren't other options at the moment. Uh, although, you know, Ernie Clement could he, could be a thing. I don't know. He uh, had a real, I mean, he had a really, really nice year in AAA. I mean, I've been, I've been downplaying that, you know, because people have been banging the drum on this on on, on AAA all year. But you know what? There, I mean, I think Dan and and, uh, and Joe Siddle or Dan or Buck, whoever was doing the games this week, were talking about you know the the uh, a change in his approach. Uh, it seems to like he had a even though the offensive environment is crazy. He had a real, real nice year in Buffalo this year. Uh, and also, you know, we saw him have that play, you know, he uh, the, the pickoff play, uh, Bassett out there pointing at him, giving him, giving him props for uh, for putting that on. And, uh, you know, just a guy, a veteran guy who, you know, kind of looks like he might know ball. I, I've, I've, got a, I've got more time for Ernie Clement today than I have uh, at any point all year, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think you could get uh, you could get a Joe Inglet run from Ernie Clement. I let's give me give me a John Birdie. Let's go. Let's yeah. get let's get let's get a regular. Let's get an everyday ish guy. Let's get a second division. Uh, guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> he's hit some home runs this year at Double A, at Triple A rather, which he'd never really done at any other point in his career. He doesn't strike out like you know the, exactly the guy I was describing before. The guy who kind of sprays the ball around and he's. You know, a little bit of luck can go a long way. Like, I think that's who Ernie Clement is, which is fine. You know, like if you're telling me, Nick, your life depends right now on an <laughs> at bat taken by Ernie Clement or Santiago Espinal, I'm going with Clement. Like, I mean, a lot of that has to do with what has happened with Santiago Espinal. <laughs> a lot, a lot of that. But you know, Ernie Clement's a guy with a lot less MLB experience. He he never he's never garnered All Star consideration, and yet I'm still gonna, I'm still <laughs> I'm still gonna give it to Ernie Clement and his uh, you know 20 plate appearances this year. He has shown me enough that I'm. I'm doing it. I'm I'm giving over <laughs> my life to Ernie Clement. Um, before we before we move on to whatever else we got, I don't know. I don't, I usually just let you drive the bus because I don't know what I'm doing in terms of. But uh, I derailed you talking about David Schneider. I did want to ask while you were talking about David Schneider, uh, has he earned the 2024 second base job? I mean, he's definitely earned consideration for it, right? He's, or maybe even you might you might say pole position. I don't think that he's at a level where he stops you from making moves that you think are prudent because you're like, oh, we can't do that. We have Davis Schneider. Like, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he's there. Um, but but I think I think many people who many people might at this point. But no, but I agree with you. Yes. But at the same time, he gives you an extremely cheap possibility there who I think you could project with some level of confidence would not embarrass himself. And that is a nifty thing to have when you're trying to build the rest of your team, right? Like you could, I think you could easily talk yourself into the idea that somebody else would be an upgrade over David Schneider, but that somebody else would cost a lot more, whether it was prospects in trade or in free agency. And with Merrifield back, oh, or, yeah, I, that's something I haven't contemplated. People are <laughs> people haven't caught up to how bad Whit Merrifield has been lately, and the fact that he's been hit fourth uh, and fifth in the lineup at times is very questionable. Even even in the context of the poor alternatives available, he to was him. leading off a week ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the handling and assumptions about how good a player Whit Merrifield is have been kind of weird. But yeah, I don't think I don't think Whit Merrifield is coming back. You know, the Blue Jays showed a willingness to let you know Marcus Simeon go and Robbie Ray go because 
they're like, we've gotten the best we could out of these players and we'll let them get their money elsewhere. I think you got to have the same attitude with what Merrifield. So he might just be the best option because bringing him into second base means that you maximize your flexibility elsewhere. And this front office uh, has always been enamored with the idea of maximizing their flexibility elsewhere. This is true. And also it's true that, that, <laughs> that statement about we've got the most out of this guy is get this guy get him, let him get his money elsewhere. I didn't think of uh I think of a generational hitter on this team that maybe that could apply to as well uh in a year or two. That is accurate. I uh, I think we're going to end off here just a little quick about the the stretch that lies ahead because we it isn't it is an opportunity in the next few games and i think you can rope the texas series into that as well you can call it kind of the next 13 games or so so before we leave here stoughton what gives you the most hope that the blue jays are going to make some hay here and what presents you with the most dread <sighs> uh, <laughs> what gives you the most hope that they'll make some i mean it's hard to point to anything in particular other than like, you know, regression to the mean, which is like not super compelling, even for someone who appreciates that sort of concept. Um, like, I don't think Vlad, I, you know, I, I, if I were a betting man, even though I think that long term, the, 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 you can't strike the ball the way that he does and, and avoid walks and avoid, or avoid strikeouts and, and pick up walks the way that he does and, and be this bad. Uh, asking it to all turn around in a month is a lot. Um, I get like the schedule is good. I think I guess this, I guess like not even just their schedule, but like the fact that the, the, the AL West teams are going to beat up on each other a little bit and that will sort of help level the playing field for the Jays and maybe give them a little path to, uh, to come through. I mean, and, and also they, they can pitch. I don't want to overlook that because we, we do, you know, we, we focus a lot on the offense because it's been not abysmal, but just extremely frustrating and, you know, pitching and pitching a defense. People used to tell you that'll win championships and then they watched a season of it and it's fucking <laughs> miserable, <laughs> but they can pitch. They can keep runs off the board. They can catch the ball. They only have to hit a little bit at the right time and there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do that so that's i guess what that is and then the dread thing is just like if you watch this fucking team like the, you know it's just uh, the definition of insanity is doing the the same thing over and over and expected different results and uh i appreciate that people are at their breaking point and don't feel like that this is a team that is uh that is going to suddenly change uh change its stripes when it comes to uh being just completely fucking unable to uh to cash their opportunities and to and to just not be this this dreadful fucking <laughs> creaky old ship listlessly <laughs> you know <laughs> sailing towards October oblivion. Um so, you know, I guess those are not super specific, but uh who knows? I'm I'm excited in in a way to see how it plays out. I'm excited I'm excited to see a few wins and have some nights where uh, I don't want to throw my phone across the room looking at Twitter or turn the Blue Jays game off in the second inning because they're down three runs and that seems like an impossible task to come back from. That is fair. Uh, <laughs> that is absolutely fair. Yeah, I uh, I think my cause for hope for the Blue Jays is, like you said, the schedule is good and it also, the schedule is meeting them where they are. Like the fact that they're, mm. 
out Boba Shett and Matt Chapman right now, and we don't know exactly where Brandon Belt's at. Like that could be devastating under different circumstances, but they are in a situation where they're facing teams that they can maybe mitigate those losses against. So I think that's a cause for the Blue Jays. Also, there's a couple of players, I think, a little bit quietly coming around, like George Springer returning to the leadoff spot. He's kind of looked like himself since more or less the beginning of August. Dalton Varsho, mm-hmm. uh, also quite encouraging. Should probably hit ahead of Whit Merrifield, for instance. Uh, in the lineup, um, <laughs> maybe someone maybe okay with that. maybe put someone with some power in the five spot. Who's any, um, <laughs> so th- those those are a couple many reasons for hope for the Blue Jays. And then on on the dread side, you know, I think the those injuries. To be honest, there's you know you're putting them on the ten day IL, but Bichette and Chapman are guys that play when they're here. They play every day like the they log a huge workload so i think that if they're out sort of past this little stretch for whatever reason it is they are really tough guys to work around because they're not guys who have a spot where they sort of rotate through they're players who absolutely are locked in at their positions and kind of filling a whole left side of the infield for extended period of time kind of tough um, and their backups are garbage. Yeah, yeah, not ideal. Hey, hey, don't talk about Ernie Clement like that. Uh, Sorry, well, he's a breakout, breakout candidate. All right, we will leave it there. We'll say goodbye to the months of month of August, and uh, we're gonna look forward to some some meaningful baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays in September. So it's all you can ask for when the season starts. <laughs> all you can ask for. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, We hope you'll listen next week and any ratings or reviews, things like that you want to give obviously are good for the evil algorithms that rule all of our lives. So we'll talk to you later.